Ralph from Happy Dog Training and welcome to another episode of Dog Talk. Today we're going to talk about dog walking. So walking your dog is something that most people do and a lot of people have the challenge that their dog drags them down the street. And then oftentimes when you end up hiring a dog trainer, it comes down to the dog should walk by your side, don't let him uh, go ahead, and you need to be the leader and have them by your side on a loose leash. That's what it should be. Well, that's the most common advice. But is that really true? Is that really so? What's really going on here with the dog when he pulls? So first thing, the pulling has a couple of reasons. Let's start there. Um, pulling is related to two things mainly. The dog wants to go faster than you. Because the dog walking speed, the average dog's walking speed, is about four miles an hour, while the average human walking speed is about two miles an hour. So there is a natural discrepancy. The dog just wants to go faster. If you go on a trail and your dog's loose, if you have a hike with your dog off leash, um, they go ahead, they come back, they go ahead, they come back, they go ahead, they come back. So they usually stay with you, but they circle around you. They walk twice the distance in the same amount of time because their walking speed is just more. They like to go out. That's the first disagreement that we have on the walk. The second disagreement that we have is the distance between us. So you can do a little experiment at home. I've done this with uh, my clients. And if you take a leash, put it on the ground, have one person stand on one side, one person stand on the other. So you have a six-foot leash, put it on the ground, and stand each on one side of that leash. Look at each other and just ask yourself, if we were going down a trail at this distance from each other, would we feel, each of us, that we're doing this together as an activity? Would we feel still connected in some way? Some people will already say no at six feet. They will say, no, that's too far. I don't think we're together. We should be closer. But most people will probably go, yeah, well, it seems, seems still we're kind of together here doing things. And then have one person take one more step to, let's say, the one on the left-hand side, have them take one more step away from the leash, so now it's seven feet or eight. And ask yourself the same question again. Do you still feel we're together? Do you still feel we're having a, doing this together as an activity, or do we start to feel slightly disconnected from one another? So once you get to eight, sometimes with 10 feet, but usually at eight feet, most people will go, yeah, yeah. I don't think we're together anymore. We happen to be in the same area now, but it doesn't feel like we're close enough to be doing something together in this case. And I believe, personally, that's why leashes are six feet long, because up to six feet, most people feel quite connected to one another. So when we have our dog on a six-foot leash, we feel he's with us. Now, a dog, on the other hand, views this whole thing very differently. So from a dog's perspective, six feet is nothing. A dog will still feel connected to you when you're moving about an environment 50 to 100 yards away. So dogs feel connected to each other at greater distances, which makes perfect sense. They are predators who hunt. And when they go and chase a deer or something, they will fan out and they will move in unison with each other, stay connected even if they're 100 feet, 100 feet, 100 yards apart from each other trying to catch something, 
if the deer turns, they all turn. You know? And they're not all next to each other because they, f they know what the others are doing. So they feel a much stronger connection at far greater distances. So the distance of six feet is a human connection idea. To the dog is, it can be over here, it can be further, why do you have to be here? So dogs want to be further away and dogs want to go faster. Those are like the first two problems. There's other things that come into play. The seeking system gets activated because they feel a sniff and the scent and they want to go there. And it's just like, there's all kinds of things that happen when you're out in the world and there's interesting things going on. But those are like the two first things you're running into plus the seeking system helping your dog wanting to do other things than being next to you. So that's kind of the starting, the starting point. Right? And now when you come with a training approach, I want my dog to heal, I want him next to me the whole time. That is no fun for a dog. He wants to do something else. He wants to be out there, he wants to do other stuff. So the question, I mean, hope that makes sense in terms of why this is happening. This is kind of the reason. Your dog just wants to do other things. Doesn't want next to you the whole time. Now, that's the reason. But should we not care about the reason? Should we just make them anyway because we're the leader? So and this is where it gets really, that's where it gets silly. Right? So I don't know where the idea ultimately originated from. I'm suspecting it's TV. But, okay. So... If we look back at the origin of collars and leashes, this goes up pretty far back. So we found um, we found dogs on or dog we're thinking they're dogs, they're four-legged creatures. <laughs> it's not quite clear, but we found um, stone tablets where there was a dog wearing some sort of collar contraption that looks like a separate thing on them, attached to a cord of some sort, attached to a person. They weren't on a particular side, they weren't on, like walking on the left or something, but they were attached to them. That's 8,000 years ago, 8,000 years old. We didn't find it 8,000 years ago, but it's 8,000 years old. And we found also cave drawings that go far back, way further than that, where humans had a string around something that could potentially be a dog. It could be other things that walked around at the time. They were far old. I forgot the age of that, but they're cave drawings. I mean, it's good. Probably Stone Age, right? So it's pretty far back where we had creatures with us that, that we like to keep by and not have them run away. So we did this with leashes. So that, that's how the idea probably goes back. The left side thing, the dog has to walk next to me. I think that's from TV, to be honest, but hey, who knows? So, but let's think about this for a moment. So the dog is next to you. Why should that matter? What about that makes you the superior animal, or makes you the leader, or makes you the boss of the operation. That's really not the case if you look at what dogs do in the wild, and there's a lot of dogs in the wild, not so much in the US, but a lot of dogs in this world, right? So not, not every country is everything just living behind fences and walls. So there's a lot, there's way more wild dogs in the world than there are domesticated, well, dogs are domesticated, but like dogs are living with people. Right? There's, there's far more wild dogs out there that, that live in the streets and live in the world versus in homes. And then obviously the ancestors of the wolves, coyotes, shackles, whatever, right? foxes, foxes. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, predators that are comparable in some of those social structures and, and behaviors. Um, so we can look at those. So let's take a wolf pack, for example, or let's take a dog pack. It would be in, in a lot of the organization pretty much the same thing if they are left up to their own devices for the most part. So when you have a hunt, Let's say a wolf pack goes on a hunt and they pursue a deer. 
as a pack they can bring down a deer no problem I've, I've seen a video in like the planet earth where a pack of wolves brought down an elephant <laughs> it was a task but they got this on video and night cameras i mean it's pretty impressive um wolves can do things so so they want to bring down an animal and they have a leader of their pack but they have another wolf that is a better hunter he's not the pack leader but he's a more skilled hunter so what will happen actually is we've observed that that the pack leader will get the skilled the more skilled hunter to take over for the hunt and lead the hunt the leader of the pack is no longer leading the hunt he lets another pack member who is better at it lead the hunt there's no confusion on who's in charge of the pack it's just a momentary organization to lead the hunt. And he's definitely not going to walk next to the pack leader to do that. Right? So in, in, then there's other things for us when we work with dogs and live with dogs. So, I mean, common examples, sled dogs, they have a blast, like it's in, the, in Alaska. So sled dogs, they run ahead of the musher. Police dogs run ahead of the cop in the building. Drug dogs run ahead on leashes. They drag to the car and sniff the car they're ahead of the person. Guide dogs for the blind, service dogs in general, they are ahead of the person, guiding the person or performing a task for the person. In none of these scenarios, is there any kind of confusion of who's in charge of that operation? The position of where the dog is and where the person is, is not relevant to who's in charge. How you establish rank and hierarchy, how you establish order, with your family dogs, assuming you have more, we have multiple. So it's actually important that, that there's a, a structure, there's some kind of order in place in general. It's a general idea the dogs need to understand while well, these guys are in charge. But this is very different from doing these silly things of my dog has to walk next to me, my dog cannot sleep in the bed, my dog cannot be on the sofa, I have to eat before my dogs, they have to wait, I can't give them food from the table. I mean, all these silly things that we have come up with, none of that has anything to do with anything. This is just human invention of random stuff. You can have your dog be wherever. If it's not a problem, it's not a problem. When it comes to walking, your dog can be ahead of you, your dog can be next to you, your dog can be behind you. There's absolutely no issue with your dog having fun when you walk him out there, give him a full of six-foot leash and let him sniff and let him pee and let him enjoy himself. And as I like, read some pee mail on a book. <laughs> pee mail. So, but there's no problem with that. There's absolutely no problem. Now, it doesn't mean your dog should drag you down the street. It doesn't mean you should be running after your dog and you should be dragging you all over the place. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can give them six foot of leash and teach them to operate within the length of that leash. Or if it's eight, it's fine too, right? Let them operate within a leash length that is safe enough and makes sense and let them sniff. And you can stop and let them sniff something and then you walk again. You're together on the walk. Do it together. Do it as a team. Let your dog do something your dog wants to do. And he wants to sniff the world. It's an important part <clears throat> of being a dog and development, and mental development and development of the nose and the senses. Your puppy should go out there and do this. Your adult dog should go out there and do this. It's important. It's important to let dogs sniff things. And when they go out in the world, they should sniff. Doesn't mean they have to drag you. 
Definitely not. Teach them not to do that. I think I mentioned in another podcast, I teach dogs to, I have in my program two different types of walks. One of them is a loose walk, meaning you got six foot of leash. There's only one rule. Don't pull me. That's the rule. I teach them not to pull me when I'm on this leash. But within that leash, dogs learn this super fast. This is not a problem at all. If you know how to train, it's, it's very quick. On a couple of walks, they got this down, and, and they will just like stay within the six-foot leash. They won't pull on the leash, and they will be much happier, and you will have a much more pleasant walk and can enjoy your dog and can enjoy him having fun. So it's a perfectly fine thing to do to let your dog go ahead, stay behind, be by your side, wander out a little bit. You have to obviously keep him on leash for legal reasons and safety reasons, but you teach him to operate the world within six feet. It doesn't have to be by your side. That is not how you should be walking your dog 24-7 or every time you go out on a dog walk. That's not a way to do that. Let your dog be a dog. Now, hope that makes sense. Let's talk about healing. Healing, there's obviously very different types of healing. So if you watch a competition sport, like a protection sport, as in the obedience routine, and there's IGP, um, used to be called IPO before, that used to be called Schutzhund, they keep changing their name for whatever reason. And then there's the other ones, there's all the ring sports, Mondeo ring, French ring, Belgian ring. Uh, so there's all kinds of protection, PSA, Protection Sport Association of America. So there's all kinds of protection sports that have in their routines healing. And in their sport routine, the healing tends to be a focused heal, where the dog is super excited, prancing next to you, looking up at you the whole time. Right? And the, the handler is stoically looking ahead while the dog just looks up at you. And that is a wonderful thing to train if you want to train this kind of thing. But this is also not how those dogs are being walked when they go out on a walk. This is a sport routine they're engaging in. They're specifically trained to do this for five minutes or however long the routine is, and that's it. They don't walk their dog that way. Nobody does that. That's crazy. Right? That is a specific thing you see on a sport field. And it's actually a challenge sometimes to train this properly if you don't know how to train this. So training a focused heel is, is an interesting exercise as a trainer to learn how to do that. As a dog owner, it can be a fun thing to in, le learn how to teach your dog this very specific thing just for fun, not to walk your dog all the time. Huh? But that's a focused heel. The dog looks up, constant contact, focused on you like uh, lasered in. Now... Um, for pet owners, again, that is not very useful. You don't need this. Right? This is not something that makes any sense for the average pet dog owner. But healing per se in a more relaxed fashion, meaning you don't have to look up at me, but you should walk next to me now on a short, loose leash because I may have to get you by something. So when I teach it in my obedience program, and it's the second thing I teach, it's the healing. Actually, it's the first thing I teach, but it's one of the two. <laughs> so I teach the healing and I teach the loose. But so the, the healing I teach, what I tell all my clients, is this is an emergency procedure. You teach your dog to come to your side because there is a bike, there is a child, there is another dog, there is a car, there's something. You need control. You ask him to come here. So we teach him, you need to be here right now. You get past something, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, whatever. Once you're past it, back to loose. Have your six feet, enjoy yourself again. Or, or we have to go through a doorway. Heel, go through, loose. Mm -hmm. So we teach that so we have 
in emergency, in an emergency situation, or not even just emergencies, but like in certain situations where we need control, I can get control, have the dog by my side, and can move. So it's a um, relative position because he has to move with me and he has to move close by my side. Doesn't mean he has to look up at me. It doesn't have to be a focused heel. Just like heel with me. I also don't care if the hips line up completely like you would in a sport. Like in, a, in I think it's an IGP. There has to be a very specific alignment between the hip of the dog and the hip of the person. I may be wrong about this. I don't teach, I don't train that sport. So if you had IGP trainer, it'll rip my head off. But there's an, there's an alignment of some sort between where your hip and the, and the body of the dog has to be, the distance between you, is like all these parameters. Sports are very particular things. They're complicated. That's why they're sports. So it's, sort of, it's a competition. So you teach for something specific for that competition to score points in, a, in, in that game. That is not what you do with your dog on a day-to-day -day basis. And the people who go on the competition field, they don't do this with their dogs on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think I mentioned, I don't think I mentioned this in the other podcast, but I was thinking about it afterwards with something Ivan Balabanov, my, uh, the, the a trainer who certified me in the training with our conflict system, obviously a very established dog trainer, one of the top trainers in the world, uh, two times world champion in IGP, 16 national trophies. He's worked with behavior problems left and right. He ran the ASPCA in San Francisco for five years. I mean, he's done everything under the sun. If, if, if it can be done with dogs, he's done it. Right? He's probably an expert in it. So 40 years of training. But so he said this um, in a podcast recently that he had with another trainer. And he was kind of like jokingly saying it, but he, that's what he does. Where he said, the dogs in his home live a relaxed life. They, they can do lots of things until he tells them otherwise, which is the same way what I do with mine. You can do what you like until I tell you otherwise. But he said in a podcast, and it makes me just chuckle. Um, hope I get this right. So I think this is exactly what he said to the other trainer. I'll tell you, if I take my dog out on a walk and people see me, they want to get me a dog trainer. <laughs> because he takes such a relaxed approach with his dogs and they're all retractables and they get just to, to be dogs and sniff things. And that's a wonderful way to walk your dog. As long as you can tell your dog, come back here, heal, which I'm sure his do perfectly, like without a flaw, um, it's not a problem, right? So if you have a way of collecting your dog like this and they listen, it's like a really classic conditioned response of you come back here right now, and there's no debate about that, you can give your dog more freedom. So walking your dog in a more relaxed and loose fashion and giving them more freedom can be earned by really good training of a nice heel. It doesn't mean you walk your dog this way. It just means you can get him back there when you need to. Huh? Let him zip around on a zip line in the field and you see a dog entering the field, you come heel. Boop, there he is and off we go. No debate, no argument, we'll just do it. He just comes in there. So if I have a really solid heel, I can use that to give my dog ultimately freedom whenever possible. I can have them on a retractable leash even. You can lock these. You, know, you can lock these at any length you like. So it's a perfectly fine thing to walk your dog with to use a retractable leash. You don't have to let it loose at 20 feet when you're in traffic. That would be a bad idea. Um, there is a, there's a hilarious YouTube video from like a comedy thing on, on loose leash walking <laughs> with a retractable leash. From uh, It's a comedian who stutters. What's his name? 
I forgot. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll find it. I'll put it in the show notes. It's on YouTube. It's absolutely hilarious. It's a wonderful routine on, on dog walking. <laughs> um, you get a good chuckle out of that. Very, very funny guy. So, and yeah, so that, that's kind of the main point I want to make. So your dog does not have to walk by your side the whole time. There's value in teaching a good heel, but it doesn't have to be focused. It should just be solid. Hey, come here, walk next to me, get past something and go back out. And that go back out can be six feet. It's usually safe on six feet, even on a sidewalk. But if you go to a field or a park and there's not much going on, be a retractable. Let them go 20 feet, 25 feet, whatever you have going there in your retractable. Well, all of that's fine and possible if you just have certain, let's say, security behaviors trained. And the heel is a security behavior at the end of the day for a pet owner. I'm not talking competition sport at all. So if you're training sport, that's not talking about that. And so for, for pet owners, that's a perfectly fine thing to have your dog not walk next to you when you walk them. You just want to teach to pull on the leash and have a nice heel if you need it. So that would be um, the way to go, in my opinion. And I'm sure there will be different opinions, and I'm sure some trainers who will listen to this uh, um, are cursing and cursing me out right now. <laughs> Haven't ring their head on the keyboard, but that's all right. Um, don't really care. But so if you're, if you're the average dog owner, don't think your dog has to be glued by your side the whole time. It's no way to walk a dog. Give your dog six foot leash, just teach him not to pull you. Teach him a nice heel for security and you're good to go and have more fun with your dog out there. So I hope there can be a little bit of inspiration for you to approach walking differently. And um, how to teach that is something is very easy to, to do. If you can't find a local trainer who can help you with this, we can, I can teach you this in a virtual course. One hour would be probably enough to do so. It's very easy to teach. You just need to know how to do it, and then you can go off and practice it. So, it's, um, so if you can't find anybody in your area, just look on our website, virtual courses, book one hour, and that's it. That, that'll do it for you. Um, but it's, it's not a complicated thing, and it gives you so much more freedom if you do it that way. Okay? So I hope that gives you some peace of mind. Um, or maybe I should add this. What, one of the reasons I did this particular podcast is because pretty much every person who comes in for training with me for obedience, not, not behavior stuff, but obedience, let it be puppies, let it be older dogs, and it comes to the walking. This is always something that my clients feel such relief over and they're so happy about when I tell them you don't have to have your dog by your side the whole time. That is a silly thing. And they're like, oh my God, thank you so much. It's like, it's been frustrating to me. I want to let my dog sniff and I'm being told I can. And other people have told me I shouldn't. And I'm sure you have heard all of that. But you really don't. And it's such, nobody has ever told them what I'm telling them. I talk about dogs very differently than many other people. Right? I'm not the only one who talks about dogs this way. There are certainly a good bunch of us who have these kinds of um, viewpoints on dogs that I share here in these videos. But... It's not the predominant opinion, that's for sure. So, but that, that was kind of the foundation of why um, I did this video, because it seems to be such a, such a thing that people really hate, but never really know how to approach differently, so they just end up doing what um, the, the walking next to you thing. And it's really not necessary if you just teach them not to pull. Not the problem is just the pulling. Pulling's the issue. You teach them not to pull. Uh, don't, don't work around the problem. The problem is the pulling. We'll stop the pulling. Then have six feet. 
Okay, so I hope that was uh, informative, it was interesting, a little bit entertaining, and uh, you got something out of it. Take it as an inspiration to maybe approach walking your dog a little differently, let your buddy have more freedom, and just teach him what you need him to know, which is the no pulling part. And I'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>